First Timothy chapter three. We would like to uh, look in verses uh, eight through uh, uh, twelve specifically here, as we look at how God has structured the church. But I want you to look in verse fourteen and fifteen first of all, because this is a purpose statement for the book of First Timothy. And Paul tells why he writes this book. You see, he's writing to Timothy, who is at the church of Ephesus. You can learn about Ephesus in the, um, uh, toward the end of the book of Acts, around Acts chapter 20 or so. And what is happening in this church at Ephesus was what Paul had warned them would happen. They have experienced false teaching threatening the church. A church near the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean world. And in verse 14, Paul says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. So he's writing this so that in the meantime, before he gets there, they have something to, to direct them here. And here's his purpose, verse 15. If he doesn't get there, he's saying, Lord willing, I'm going to get there. But if he doesn't get there, here's what he says. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. It's the word household. The household of God, which is, in the original language, a church. Which is a church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, what he, hear, what he is saying here is that the church of God is so important, it is not a mere human organization. It is the household of God. The household of God, but not just the household of God, is the household of the living God. The church of God, a local church. It is not the pastor's church. It is not your church. It is God's church. And so, Paul understands that this church, the local church, plays a vital role that no other organization can replace as a pillar in a rampart. That's the idea here of a pillar and ground of the truth. It's a pillar, a fortress, a buttress, a rampart of God's truth in reality. The church is to hold up the truth as a pillar would hold up the roof. It is to protect the truth, protect the gospel as a, as a, as a rampart would, would protect the, the people inside of that uh, fort. And so Paul here has that as his purpose. And one of the things he understands is you have to get the leadership right. You have to get the leadership right. And uh, it is fascinating how, in this book, Paul equips Timothy to prepare against false teaching in the church. To see the church established. And you know how he does it? Well, look what he writes in chapter 3, the previous verses. He wants to see the biblical church leadership established. He encourages. He defines. He is here to train church leadership. He has spent time, certainly, on training Timothy personally. He has scoped out and defined elders earlier in chapter 3, and later on in chapter 5. And now he is going to spend his attention on the role of deacons in chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. I bring that to your attention this morning, because last week we began this series on deacons backwards. We started with verse 13. And so we looked at 
the rewards and the motivation, the joyful service of a deacon. And so we looked at verse 13. We saw the serving joy of the deacon there in verse 13. They that have used the office of a deacon well, purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We saw that there is a condition. They did have used the office of a deacon well. And then we saw the compensation. We saw the reward there. Here's what I promise. Here's what God promises. Purchasing to themselves a good degree. Explained what that was last week. In great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. But this morning I want to look at the steel character of a deacon. The, the, uh, 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 the strength and flexibility of the character of a deacon, the qualifications. So we understand the reward of serving as a deacon, serving as a deacon well. Now, what kind of men must these deacons be? Well, notice how he starts out in verse 8. He says, likewise. Likewise. Likewise to what? A word uh, likewise means in a like or similar manner. Similar manner, likewise to what? Well, earlier he has talked about the elders. And so he is connecting the role of the deacon with also how he has talked about the character of elders. The character of elders is supposed to be this certain way. And they are supposed to do uh, have a major role in teaching. All right? In The deacons who are serving, we'll talk about what they do next week here, but the deacons here uh, need to have this, have have, have, uh, excellent character as well. And so he's going to talk about their qualifications. Likewise, in a like or similar manner, must the deacons be grave, be grave. That word grave there is a a word that means uh, dignified. It's a, it's a word that, that means uh, they are and generally to be serious. And it's an idea here of being worthy of respect or esteem, especially in regard to one's behavior. It would describe someone who is a wise man. Grave, dignified. It's a very general term. And the other things that come under in verse 8 uh, uh, start to scope out what grave means. Dignified, uh, worthy of respect. He says, even, excuse me, he says, likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued. Not double-tongued. So now he's going to talk about here what grave dignified means and the personal nature of that and the personal life of a deacon. Not double-tongued. That means saying one thing to one person and another to another. It's the idea of sincerity. We need to be able to take a deacon at their word as they serve. I wonder here if maybe as I'm teaching on deacons, uh, you have uh, uh, put off the application of what he's talking about here because it's just talking about deacons. But I want to tell you and remind you that all these things are commanded of us, of everyone, as believers. And there is not, and specifically, there is not a man in here, in this room, There's not a man in this room that could not be what is described here through the power of Jesus Christ. This is not something that, oh, that's the deacons. Now, elders are not to, uh, have a skill and ability that, 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 is, that is described as needing to be a part of them, able to teach. But there is no person in this room, through the pursuit of Christ's likeness, through the power of the Spirit, that could not be a deacon here if they fall into these qualifications. 
So don't just say this is the deacons. And ladies, ladies, don't just say this is the men either, alright? All these things are important for us generally as believers. The character qualifications. So as you're listening here, I want you to not think about that person, but I want you to think about yourself, too. Now certainly, the point of the passage is the deacons. And the application directly is about deacons. But ask yourself, do I have a reputation for keeping my word? Do you speak without fear of man? Do you speak consistently in love? Are you double-tongued? Verse 8 says, after not double-tongued, he says, not given to much rind, not greedy of filthy lucre. You'll notice here that he puts out the negative first. Here's what you are not to be. All right, Not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not guilty, guilty of filthy, greedy of filthy lucre. Not given to much wine. That means those who do not care for or pay attention to wine. It means they are uh, those who uh, do, do not have a problem with the abuse of substances. Do you exhibit self-control or weakness in self-control? Are you able through Christ to demonstrate the ability to live free of addictions through Christ? Not given to much wine. Okay, you say, well, I don't have a problem with wine. Food? Are there any other things in your life that you just... Self-control is out the window when this is there. Notice what he says next. Not greedy of filthy lucre. Those who are not greedy. Are you a generous giver or a selfish hoarder? Do you steward your possessions in keeping with kingdom priorities or, or your own gain? About your business, are you honest in your financial dealings and your business? Are you honest and on time and, and paying your bills and and, 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 and is debt a, a part of your life that is just is out of control? Are you honest here as we look forward to April April fourteenth and reporting the correct amount of income that you earned and your reporting on your tax reports? Do you have a miser's grip, or do you hold things loosely for God to work through your money? You say, well, I don't have a lot of money. You can still be greedy and not have a lot of money. Have you ever learned how to be content when you're in a season of surplus, and content when you're in a season of lack? It is not riches that are the problem. He says that later on in chapter 6. He says it's the love of money. Riches. And a deacon here who may be entrusted with finances here cannot be greedy of filthy lucre. 
Those are some of the personal qualifications, the inward character here. But then he says in verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. I think here we see the doctrinal character of the deacon, the doctrine of the character. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Deacons are to hold to the objective body of Christian truth. Notice he says, the faith. The faith. The faith. And they're to do that with a clean conscience. And what does he mean by that? I'll tell you what. Western thinking tends to separate our beliefs with our actions. But that is a concept foreign to the New Testament and to the Hebrew mind. Holding... The mystery of faith in a pure conscience, or a clean conscience, means that you have a life that is not just one way on Sunday in this room together. But you have a life that is consistent with what you believe. The New Testament does not allow people to separate their professions and what they believe from their life. That's why in Titus, Paul says, keep these things that are in accord, in agreement with sound doctrine. He says, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. What is the the mystery of the faith? It is the revealed secrets of the Christian faith. The body of truth upon which our faith rests. That before time was, was a mystery, but now has been revealed to us in the New Testament. A new covenant understanding. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you have a steel grip on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you know and believe Christ and the apostles' teaching in Scripture? Regarding the cardinal points of the gospel and the life that it is to follow out of that. In Galatians, Paul has to confront Peter with his legalism. And Paul says, your life is not in line with the truth of the gospel. There is a disconnect here. He had to confront him there. Do you exhibit personal trust and reliance upon Jesus? Do you live a life of repentance and faith? Do you hold these truths with a clear conscience? Does your life conform to the faith that you say you profess? And of course, this goes farther than a mental ascent, doesn't it? To beliefs. But living in a way, through God's power, that lines up with the worthiness of your calling. Paul says, walk worthy in Ephesians 4. Walk worthy of the calling wherewith you have been called. Can you give a credible profession of personal saving faith in Christ? Do you understand the gospel? Do you understand, do you you bring Jesus' work in scripture to bear on your life? Will this person uh, persevere in the faith despite ups and downs of ministry? Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Holding tight. Steel grip. Gospel. The doctrines of the Christian faith. And then, look what he says in verse 10. Some spiritual quality, some affirmation here. He says, and let these also first be proved. First be proved. (coughs) Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Deacons are to be tested and approved and without reproach. That's what blameless means there. 
Um, there is no deacon in Christ's church that is self-appointed. I've heard of churches where a pastor shows up and and uh, you know there's a there's a there's a deacon there you know who's who's uh, thinks he runs a church because he's been, been the deacon right uh, and he's basically like a self-appointed deacon uh, uh, that's not that's not what you find here in the New Testament you see being a servant is what a deacon is and we'll look into that next week being a servant is a test of your character. Uh, with elders, he says, not a novice. Here with deacons, he says, let them also first be proved. Are you mature and growing Christian? And listen, we have people in this church who have been saved for years and years and years and decades. And for some of them, their Christian life matches that. Their inward is renewing day by day. They are closer to Christ than they were 30 years ago. And then we also have people in this church who have been saved for decades, and they're still babies. They're still babies. They don't know how to walk in the gospel. And here, Paul says, uh, let these also first be proved. Have you shown faithfulness and competence in the so-called small things? Are you a mature and growing Christian? It doesn't matter how many years you profess faith in Christ. Is the fruit of the Spirit evident? Have you shown faithfulness? Do you have character issues or incompetence? That testing would, uh, would, would reveal, that would show that there are real issues in your life that would hinder the church's progress as a deacon. How are you serving now? Not what are you saying you're going to do someday. How are you serving now? And Paul says this person needs to be first proved and tested according to God's standards. There's the idea of a public recognition. Publicly and officially recognized by the church. Remember in Acts chapter 6, the men were publicly recognized by the church in Jerusalem. They are proved and tested according to God's standards. I'd also like to point out here that uh, he doesn't say uh, serve as a deacon for a few years here. Uh, he's, the idea here is he, he seems to remain a deacon until he no longer desires that work or he's disqualified from that work. Um, he's not limited to, to, uh, to, to terms. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that we can see that in Scripture. Um, that can be frustrating to those who are really desiring to serve the Lord as a deacon but uh, have no desire to, to, to stop but have to be removed from the deacon's list just because of man-made rules. And I'm just saying that here to, to, to make us think a little bit. Now, go with me to Acts. Acts chapter 21, verse 8. In Acts chapter 21, verse 8. It's one thing if a man desires time off, that's one thing. But if he has been examined, and he meets the qualifications and tested, and he wishes to serve in this role, and he's approved, uh, it seems that a person is a deacon until he's disqualified or does not desire to. In fact, if you look with me in Acts chapter 21, and verse 8, Philip, one of the seven, we have a few that are, uh, Stephen and Philip are named <coughs> there, and in Acts chapter 21, and verse 8, says this, And the next day, 
We that were of Paul's company departed and came in a Caesarea, and we entered in the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. All right, I want you to understand that in the original language it says, um, it says one of the seven. That's the idea. All right? This is the same man who all the way back in Acts chapter 6, however many years ago that was, um, uh, had been uh, sought out to fill that prototypical role there of what I would believe uh, would be the, the first parts there uh, of a deacon. But he's still a deacon later on. Still described as one of the seven. I find that interesting. But the point is that a person is to be qualified he is to be tested. He is to be proved. He is to be publicly recognized by the church. Now, some people say that everybody's a deacon because everybody's a minister in service, but that's not exactly true. There's a reason there's an office called a deacon. Now, we're all servants. We're all to serve. We're all to minister. But a deacon is one that is publicly recognized by the congregation. Tested and approved. But I'd like you to look at the next part here. And I'm going to skip verses, verse 11. <clears throat> because I'm going to come back to that. Not because it's not any less of the Word of God. I'm going to come back to that. Verse 11. But I want to go back to the, the deacons here. Verse 12. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchased themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, here's the idea of family. The home. Their home needs to be a part of their qualifications. Their home is like a little church. Like elders, deacons are told to be husbands of one wife, whose families are presided over as well. Now, this does not mean that if you are a bachelor or single, you can't serve as a deacon. That's not the point. Paul himself was an apostle, which is a much higher office than even an elder. And he was single. Christ himself was single as well. It does not mean that a bachelor can't be a deacon. I would also point out that it does not mean a man, mean a man who was only married once. This would, of course, disqualify a widower who remarried, as well as men whose wives have abandoned them despite their desire to remain married. If that is what Paul meant as we went through this in elders, he could have very easily have said that. There are Greek words to express that. What I believe this is teaching is, a, and in the literal language is a one-woman man, your moral and sexual purity and devotion to the one you're married to. I ask you this morning, men, and what are your entertainment choices? Are you fighting your lusts? Are you evidencing faithfulness to your wife? Oh, sure, you could probably say you are faithful physically. Are you faithful emotionally as well to your wife? Or are there other people that you imagined yourself being joined to in relationship with the opposite gender? How important is your marriage in your home? And I'm asking the wrong person. I should ask your spouse. What would your spouse say? Men. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Men, are you leaders at home spiritually? 
idea of ruling or, or translated uh, as managing here. It's a word that is used of the Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Who risked himself to bandage and care for the wounds of the wounded man. And he responds in that situation with care and supervision and compassion and concern. Alright, that's the word, that's, that's the idea of the word there in Luke 10. He says, ruling. Ruling. Now, some of you who come from uh, different backgrounds might think of that rule, word ruling as like a, a dictator kind of a rule. But no, it's a servant leader rule, a care. Are you attentive to the spiritual leadership needs of your home? Oh, sure. It's great to keep up the physical building of the house. Right? Do do maintenance on the house. But what about that spiritual house that's living in those four walls? Would your wife agree with your assessment about your spiritual leadership? Do you care for your children or grandchildren's spiritual ways also? Would your wife and children say you qualify in these areas? Men, why are we so quick to put our muscles into something, our physical muscles into something, but very passive and weak and many times intending the eternal matters of our families? They both matter. I understand that. This man cannot be spiritually passive. And folks, there is an epidemic. An epidemic of spiritually passive men. And it cannot be true in Christ's church. This does not mean that your home is perfect. But it does mean that you guide the home into Christ in the storms of life. Christ is real in this home. And I am speaking to you not as one who looks down on you, but as one who identifies with you and has a tendency to be very spiritually passive and weak. I'm right in this with you. I fall far short. Ask these people over here. We can't be satisfied with that. And by God's grace, men, we have to step up. Christ needs to be real in your home. These are the character qualities. There are personal introspective things we need to think about here. There is the truth of God's word that needs to be undergirding our lives. There is a public recognition by the congregation and the testing. And there is the home that Paul says is important in identifying deacons. I want you to understand that in all these qualifications for deacons, there is a theme here. You know what it is? Living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. Surrendered servants. Saying no to selfishness and yes to God. In his word and life. You remember verse 13 from last week? As we began the series with that verse. That there is a promised great reward. For lives that are surrendered for the Lord's work as servants. 
There is great joy. There needs to be steel character. But as we learned last week, there is great joy in serving Jesus. There's reward. If you feel battered and beaten up this morning by the Word of God, I want you to know that with Jesus Christ, faith and repentance is offered to you. Jesus never wants us to stay the same. He never wants us to leave this room the same way we came in. And Jesus in His grace and power has transformative purposes in His Word. He wants to change you. He wants to change me. And He has done that through the means of His cross. And He calls upon us to take up our cross and die and to follow Christ. And men specifically, these areas here are spelled out for us and how we die and how we live to Christ. This is why we need the Holy Spirit's help. You see, I can't do this. I can't serve well until I have gone up under the altar and relinquished all rights. I said, Jesus, I'm yours. I can't do this if I'm not in the Word of God and having my mind renewed, if I am not progressing through His power. Francis Havergill said, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Our call is to see God raise up faithful deacons in our midst. And also to strengthen the souls of the deacons who are serving among us now. But also, but also, see the tide rise in South Hope Community Church and see men who step up in leadership, beginning in their homes. Let's pray.